In a week with drama unfolding all around us, we tackle some hard-hitting topics. Would we see the Glazer family finally allow some semblance of a takeover at Manchester United? Would we have more VAR controversy? We will discuss who is the best Tottenham Hotspur player of the last 25 years. And finally, what twists and turns do we have in the title and relegation race to happen this week? Join us as we travel from Merseyside to North London and unpack all of the action of Match Week 9. I am Redbeard. This is Targo. What's up, guys? Join us as we break it all down. This is an all-new episode of Brews and Banter, and it starts right now. Right, Targo, my friend, how the heck are you? Doing good, man. How was your birthday trip? It was good, man. Myrtle Beach was nice. It was sunny for about half of it. A lot of golf played. A lot of friends made. Lots Even, of brews? Uh, met up... What? Lots of brews? Uh, I would go with a few too many brews, to be honest with you. <laughs> but we did hit up four or five breweries out there. It was fun. I even brought home one with me, so I guess I'll start. Okay. So I got I got Sweetwater Brewing Company's Hazy Seven Ten Pale Ale. It is uh, I've already sipped it as you could see during the intro. Uh, it's very hop forward for a hazy, so it's like what you would get in a normal hazy, but you flip it around. So it's very hoppy at the beginning, and then very hazy, so tropical fruit taste at the end of it it's strange okay. but it's good well i am drinking mumby brewing company headless mumby brewing company northwest amber lager it's hmm. a vienna lager inspired by the pacific northwest bready malt aromatics copious amounts of classic american hops so there was hmm. the can we'll see what this tastes like That's okay. 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 Copious amounts big... of hops in there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not a big amber guy, so but it, it's not bad. That I know. Not as good as that uh, Amber's mom. <laughs> that one was better. <laughs> oh, man. Gets me every time. Oh. All right, Targo. Let's get into it. All right. So, Jim Ratcliffe, man, looking to buy Manchester United, looking like he might get 25% of Man United. What does this mean for him? Can they buy new players? Are they going to renovate the stadium, training grounds? Let's get into it, because it's interesting. The It was a Qatari organization they pulled out of buying Manchester United, saying the Glazers valued the club a little, a little too highly. <laughs> And so Jim Ratcliffe came in, 1.3 billion pound deal for 25% stake in Manchester United. Uh, He owns a couple clubs already. He owns Swiss club FC Lausanne Sport, which he bought in 2017. And he bought uh, Nice in Ligue 1 back in 2019. 
And, you know, none, none of them have done remarkable since Ratcliffe's takeover. Although Nice currently, I will say, doing very well. Yeah, they've, they've had second, some, third. Somewhere in there in Ligue 1. Uh, they've had some great players come through. They've made they quite a bit of money on selling players. But I wouldn't necessarily say they've, you know, kind of risen through the ranks of French football. But Manchester United, it was Ratcliffe's, you know, kind of boyhood boyhood club. Who wouldn't want to be the owner of your boyhood club? Yeah. But I guess I'm, you know, what what does this mean for Manchester United? Well, I do know that with the Glazers, they're currently, I think, over a billion in debt right now. So that would at least clear their books a little bit. Um, I mean, it sounds like he's going to come in in more of a sporting director sense. Would it mean they could buy players? I think they have to sell some first. But I think you're right I, there. Yeah. I mean, financial fair play rules. He wants to, you know, upgrade the training facilities, Old Trafford. I mean... We've all heard the stories of the toilets backing up on match days in, you know, theater of dreams. Well, it doesn't really sound like any dreams that I want to be a part of, let alone Manchester United Theater of nightmares lately, not yeah. only in the in the toilet stalls, but on the pitch as well. This <laughs> right? <season. laughs> They're just stinking it up all over the place, man. Um, I, I think it's a great deal as far as kind of getting the Glazers to at least, you know, let go a little bit. As Loosen the all range. Manchester United fans will tell you, they are the problem. They're the reason why Manchester yeah. United are in the state they're in. Getting someone in for 25%, I don't know. Do you think that they're actually going to you know, let off the reins a little bit? Or is this more just they want some extra money? Is it going to go back in the club? I don't know. I think it's a little bit of both. I think they, they do let go of the reins a little bit here. Um you know, he he has experience, at least, in owning football clubs for the past few years. So it's something. Again, the influx of cash, I do think they'll use that in the stadium, training facility, perhaps even scouting. I think that's where, honestly, Manchester United has really failed recently, especially in their negotiation tactics for signing players. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we could see some shakeups in positions, um, you know, backroom staff, such as CEO or director of football. And so I think those things could be positives for Manchester United, because at the moment, it, it's not going well. I mean, you spend how much money on Anthony, who's not 90, 90 mil looking like a great yeah. return on investment there. And they spent a bunch on Hoyland. Jane Casemiro, Jane Sancho. I mean, so it's <laughs> it a complete the prices are, are not the best. <laughs> yeah, that they're yeah. buying these players for, and so I, I think that could help if they can improve in that aspect. Yeah, I 100 percent agree. I think the big question is going to be: Well, one, will it happen? Right? Because this is at this point a big: Will it happen? Will it not? And then what capacity do the Glazers actually, you know, relinquish some of their power, so to speak, and actually let Jim Radcliffe, who is the richest person in all of England, actually have a say in it? Because he can inject extra cash and capital after he buys a 25%, like up to $100 million. So they could be able to sign some players. But I don't, I don't know if that's actually going to happen. No, I, I, for signing players, I don't think so. Like, 
like you'd mentioned, they need to sell some players. Um, you know, Harry Maguire, potentially Donny van de Beek, Scott McTominay, Anthony Martial, Jane Sancho. I mean, there's, it's kind of a whole host of players there that probably could go, but it's going to be difficult. I mean, the Jane Sancho saga of the feud between him and Ten Hag has been going on now for what a good month, month and a half, at, at least, months? and it doesn't Something look like, like there's any end in sight there. But no one can sign him. He's on these huge wages, which again goes back to that recruitment kind of policy and signing players. So it's coming back full circle to bite him in the butt man with those deals they've made yeah and i'll be honest with you i don't know if this really means anything for manchester united it means yeah they have some capital injected into the club but i mean with the way the glazers have done things and their track record i'll be honest with you i don't even think anything changes i think it stays the same and they probably will just pocket the money I don't think they'll pocket the money. I don't think Ratcliffe would let him do that. I mean, he's, you know, obviously made a lot of money, so he's not a a dumb businessman. And so I don't think he would do that. And he's also a fan of the club. But the Glazers, I would say, have been doing that over the past few years, not injecting any of their own cash, using just profits from the club. So we we could see a change in that because he may be willing to spend some of his own money. Yeah. And I mean, as long as it's not the Glazers' money, I'm sure they're more than happy to spend it. That's all right. <laughs> but we'll see how this one ends up. We're curious. What do you guys think? Does anything change at Manchester United with this new ownership? Let us know in the comments. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, make sure you guys are liking, subscribing to the channel, hit that notification bell, and let us know. You know, is it going to be is something going to change? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing for Manchester United? We'll find out. All right, Targo. Match week nine in the English Premier League. Man, we kick things off with <clears throat> one of the world's biggest rivalries in the 244th edition of the Merseyside Derby. As we had Liverpool taking on Everton, you know, as it has been in recent years, we knew this game would go, well, one way and one way only. As Liverpool ran out 2-0 winners, but there was... Still controversy in this game. Can't seem Contro- to get away from it. I would say controversy, but it also you're not wrong. This kind of has gone one way in recent years. You know, Everton have not been good the past few seasons. But Everton made Liverpool work for this win. This wasn't an easy stroll in at Anfield. They they kind of almost struggled to get that breakthrough. It took a handball from Michael Keane and a Mo Salah PK and then a breakaway. I think it was the 89th minute where Mo Salah got on the end of a, another goal. So they ended up winning 2-0, but I thought Everton played well defensively for a majority of that game, even with a man down. And I was going to just Ashley get Young. into that. Yeah. Yeah. A couple Young early yellow cards. Off. Ashley Young sent off. Playing most of the game with 10 men is never easy, especially against the Liverpool side that seems to be scoring for fun. But this Liverpool side could have also been 10 men down, as Ibrahim Konate, probably a little bit lucky, as he was not shown a second yellow for his tackle on Beto. I'm probably going to get some stick for this, man, but honestly, like I've heard a couple, you know, I've seen the replays and I've heard other 
you know, people talk about that and how Konate should have probably had a second yellow. I didn't think it was the yellow. I'm going to be honest. I did not. Right. I thought Beto went down super easy. I mean, you see the armor Konate kind of go across him, but he doesn't like hold him or nothing. It just is a, I feel like it was a soft arm and Beto should have been stronger if I'm being honest. I thought it, I thought it would have been a real soft yellow for a red. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> As as controversial as that opinion might be, I tend to agree with you uh, because he didn't even look like he really touched him with his arm across his chest. Definitely not enough to knock him over. So, I I don't know. I mean, it's hap- seems to be happening every single week where a player is on a yellow, something controversial happens, and they get a yellow card or they don't. <clears throat> as we well, saw I mean, last can... week with Arsenal. Kovacic should have got another yellow. This one, probably not. I mean, you saw what Klopp thought. He saw that happen. He brought Konate off. <laughs> yeah. So he, right I think so. he knew he was a little lucky. But again, for me, I thought it would have been soft, you know, versus the Ashley Young yellow cards. Those those were yellows. Yeah. Those two poor yeah. challenges. Those are black and white, plain and simple. But it does beg the question, should VAR be able to check the second yellow card offenses? Even if a yellow card is not given? No. I feel like VAR is too involved now, man. It seems like they check everything. <laughs> These yeah, VAR stoppages. It's, it's looking like the NFL, man. Having to stop for the refs to go look at a screen every 10 minutes. It's it's getting uh, a, it, a little it, bit annoying, if I'm being honest. Yeah, and I, I agree. Uh, it's For me, it's more of the... Yes, we... it's. It's a catch-22, really, right? Like, we want more things to actually be reviewed by VAR if they have any sort of controversy whatsoever, but we don't want them to stop play. But we also want them to stop play because we want the ref to be the final decider because we've seen what VAR actually does for decisions. They mess it up. Why do VAR should get involved in decisions if it's, you know, a blatant mistake by the on-field official? Not calling that a yellow card, I don't think is a blatant mistake. What do you guys think? Let us know down below. I mean, we've seen so many red cards, it seems like, this season because of all the yellows now that you get for the holding up this card or the time-wasting. Especially the time-wasting, yeah. We're seeing lots of of yellows, and then you, you make one bad tackle and you're off. Kind of ruins the flow of the play, but I understand why they did it. <sighs> All right. Next question, buddy. Should Darwin Nunez be starting in this Liverpool team, or is he just a really good super sub? That's tough. Because I, I like Diogo Jota up there. But Darwin Nunez, I feel like, isn't pressing me lately. At least coming off the bench. I know. I mean, he's a fantastic player to have come off the bench with his speed running at tired defenders. I mean, he popped up with an assist in this game. So I think he deserves a run, especially Cody Gagpo not playing. But again, he's going to have to take the spot of Diogo Jota. Which is tough to do. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Because he always seems to pop up with a goal or an assist as well. So, makes it a hard decision for Jurgen Klopp. That's for sure. All right. Next up, we travel to London. 
as Brentford took on Burnley. We both picked Brentford because, well, Burnley, they've been absolute garbage this season. Let's be honest. As Brentford ran out 3-0 winners in this one, and it started with, well, a bit of an interesting disallowed goal. As Brentford had a goal called back, apparently the attacker who was, sorry, the attacker who scored the goal was on sides. However, there was a, another attacker who was in an offside position who apparently held back uh, Burnley's striker. I forget his name. Foster? Lyle Foster? He, I think he kind of impeded him. I don't know if he would hold him back, but he impeded, impeded the it. defender from getting to the to the player who touched the ball. But that player, the player who impeded, Smart. was offside. Yeah. And so it was... I, I thought the goal should have stood, but... I, again, this is one of those, it could go either way. I don't think Foster would have got there to be able to stop this ball from going in the net. I don't think he would have had any effect on the play. You're right. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, I mean, Brentford, at the end of the day, got the job done, and it probably could have been 6-0 rather than 3, but good on them for playing through it and figuring it out. But still, I mean... If this is how things are going to go all season, there's going to be lots and lots of people calling for a lot of heads in uh, PMGOL. Or just clarification on these rules, man. I mean, what's a handball now? It we'll seems get into like that the, later. It seems like we'll the Premier League's later. going towards kind of the same rules as the Champions League. I mean, that's fine, right? As long as it's black and white. We say it every week. If it's black and white, there's no complaints. There's a lot of gray area. I would just want, I, I don't care if it's black or white. I just want it to be consistent. Be consistent yeah. every week on what's a handball versus what's not. Which yeah, it seems like this week they kind of were. They were consistently calling handballs. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Brentford struck first through their uh, connection of Mbomo and Visa in the 25th minute. And then Mbomo pops up. 62nd minute with a top-class finish. Golasso, man. Yeah. Lovely finish. Carter Roberts gets his second yellow for a poor foul in the 78th. And Brentford, well, they take advantage of their superior numbers as Simon Guros scores a beautiful goal in the 88th minute to finish this one 3-0 to the Bees. But, man, this one, I mean, all the talking points are around Burnley, man. How bad are they, first off? And second, man, they're in trouble. I know we asked this last episode, but how long can Vincent Company last? He's got one tactic. That's it. And it's not working at all. That tactic's gotten him four points and 23 goals scored against. Yeah. <laughs> He's they not have gonna as last many long, goals for I mean... as they have losses. How about that? <laughs> they they struggle. I mean, they who's their their one win was against Luton. Yes, at Luton, I believe. And so, yeah, and then they got one draw, and the rest of their elves, man. And they're not close <laughs> either. No. So they're they're in trouble. Yeah, they need to start turning these 
these results around, and I think it might be company that's the issue. Yeah, uh, I definitely tend to agree with you on that one because as a coach and a manager, you have to be able to adapt. And he is showing an inability to be able to adapt. I mean, he's not he's not playing for Manchester City anymore. He doesn't have billions of pounds to spend on players. He might have like a million to spend on players at this point. <laughs> All right. Next up, Bournemouth and Wolves as Gary O'Neill takes on his former team and eventually gets revenge on the team that sacked him in the summer. So we both picked Wolves, and they run out 2-1 to one winners in this one, but they had to leave it late. Bournemouth strike first through Dominic Solanke in the 17th minute. Though Wolves had chances in the first half with Pedro Neto hitting the crossbar, they had nothing going until just after the half when Matias Cunha had a fantastic finish to level. Oh, out. dude, great finish. Great finish. Great piece of skill, yeah. And then a bit of uh, controversy in this one as well. Seems to be a theme of this week. As Lewis Cook gets sent off in the 54th minute following an alterca- altercation with that Korean guy, Huang Hee-chan. <laughs> yeah, supposedly headbutted him. Um, if that constitutes a headbutt, man. I... <laughs> it almost I was... looked like, you know, when you're in like grade school and you're trying to like psych someone out. Like, what? What are you going to do? It doesn't actually look like he touches him, but he goes down clutching his face like he just got decked. I mean, he touches him, but it it was very light. It was a, yeah, it, you know, it wasn't no Zinedine Zidane head, but that's for sure. <laughs> no. And if that's the standard man, then that was not a headbutt. The <laughs> dance was attempted murder then. Of the- yeah, it really was. I still feel that Materazzi probably has a hole in his chest from that one. But yeah, I mean, I guess you can't do that. You can't go head to head leaning with it. And he just did and sucks. Sucks for Lewis yeah. Cook. Because <laughs> guess what? We'll take advantage of that extra man and get the winner in the 88th. Yeah, through Sasha Kalic. Yep. And for his say, what, man. second winner this season? Wolves' second win? No. Kyle Zich, his second game-winning goal this season. Oh, is it? I, I don't know. Yeah. But I gotta give credit, man, to Gary O'Neill and this Wolves team. Beginning of the season, Luke Tiggy had left. I thought this team was in shambles, you know. They have their financial issues. Still kind of do. But Gary O'Neill, man, he is proving to be one heck of a manager so far. Well, I mean, and we saw for- what he did with Bournemouth last season. And a team that had oh, yeah. no right staying up. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't. And they started playing some fantastic football, getting results against Tottenham. They did lose there uh, towards the end of the season once they had become safe. But I think Bournemouth maybe should have stuck with Gary O'Neill. Looking at the table, it would say so. Yeah, as Bournemouth I mean, is sitting I mean, in 19th with three points and Wolves all the way up in 12th with 11. I mean, and think of the teams Wolves Wolves are playing against, you know, and they're playing well against them. They beat Man City last time out. Against Liverpool, they played a fantastic first half against Liverpool, winning that half, and then, yes, Liverpool came back and won. Um, they You're arguably played better than Manchester, Manchester United. United. You're yeah, opening. Yeah. And so the whole Onana controversy. They're playing 
they're playing good. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very surprised. Fun to watch excited right for Wolves, yeah, especially Pedro Neto, man, guy is on fire. Him and Huang Hechan, man. Ever since he started, started uh, in the starting eleven. Just saying, someone might have said that they do well, and they have. All right, and then next everything's up, the opposite for Bournemouth. <laughs> yeah, I have nothing good to say about Bournemouth, so I'm just gonna leave it at that. Right, mom. My mom told me if you don't got something nice to say, don't say it at all. Well, Bournemouth, you suck. All right. Next up, we had Nottingham Forest in Luton Town as Forest look to continue their hot start to the season against lowly Luton Town. And uh, this first half was real cagey, man. Body blows all over the place. Yeah, neither team wanting to overextend, concede that goal. But it did open up in the second half quite a bit. Yes, as Chris Wood turning back the years. Scoring for Forrest just after the break, and then would make it two in the 76th minute. Both goals assisted by Anthony Alanga. And what a ball for that second goal by Alanga. Oh, yeah. Picked out I mean, yeah, Chris he, Wood's head. He's been a in fantastic signing, it looks like, what? for uh, Forrest. Oh, yeah. And Chris Wood, with a, you know, turning back the years with a fantastic header for that second one as well. <laughs> and then Nottingham Forrest would do what, well, they have done all season, and they shot themselves in the foot as Luton began the comeback in the 83rd minute off of a free kick. And to be honest with you, I don't even know how to explain this one. It was just terrible, terrible defending. So many mistakes, ball <laughs> bouncing around in the box. Oh, gosh. It was so bad. It's like just a comedy of errors. It really was. It was. It was. And then at the death, Luton would equalize after a long ball up to the front. And it ends in a draw, but, I mean, poor from Nottingham Forest. Is they should have won this game comfortably. Yeah, I mean, poor defending. You're cruising at 2-0. And they get their, you know, 10 minutes left. Come on. I will Come say it's on, a huge man. point for uh, Luton, who are yeah. out of the relegation zone. Still early yeah, days for them. The teams below them not looking like they'll pick up a point anytime soon, even against <laughs> each other. Those will be big games, those bottom four there playing each other five. Yeah, I mean, Everton, if they can get their act together, should be safe. But the other four, holy cow. They're bad. All right. Over to Tyneside as Newcastle played Crystal Palace. And Newcastle just free-flowing of late. Goals just keep going in, and they win this one 4-0. They put Palace to the sword, scoring three in the first half. Goals by Jacob Murphy, Anthony Gordon, and Sean Logstaff in the 4th, 44th, and 47th minutes. I got to ask, though. Was that Jacob Murphy goal on purpose? I don't think it was, man. I think he was looking for <laughs> someone in the middle. Nice looping chip over the goalie. Looked like a mishit. Either way, you could see what it meant to him as he had a smile from ear to ear during the <laughs> celebrations for that one. And man, was he having fun after that. And then the third poor, poor slip from Gahey. Oh, yeah. Loud poor guy. Staff to just yeah. scoot right by him. 
One nice on one with the goalie. Man. Yeah. Newcastle would make it four through Callum Wilson in the 66th minute to finish it off. But this Newcastle squad are absolutely flying right now, scoring goals for fun. Top scorers in the Premier League. I mean, 24 goals in nine games. I haven't lost anything in five matches. They have a draw and they're drawing four wins in their last five. Flying high Newcastle, man. They're looking dangerous and, you know, it's a good time to be doing that as they have a Champions League game midweek against Dortmund, I believe. Yes. So, should be a good one for them. Next up, well, the game we probably all were looking forward to. Manchester City and Brighton. Brighton high-flying this season, but letting in loads of goals. Manchester City getting Rodri and John Stones back for this one as they would run out 2-1 to winners in a game that I believe the scoreline flatters Brighton a little bit because Manchester City looked in control for this entire match. I would disagree with that. Okay, well. I would would very much disagree with that, yeah. First half, all Man City as Jeremy Doku, man, finally gets a start. Tore up that entire right side of Brighton's defense. It's some fantastic play from him. Cuts the ball back to Julian Alvarez. A bit of an ugly finish, but it goes in just after seven minutes. Yeah, dude, Jeremy Doku, man, was tearing up poor James Milner on that right-hand <laughs> side. He was... Mismatch of the century, man. Yeah, he was chewing them up and spitting them out every chance he got. But I will say, yeah, Manchester City in that first half definitely looked good. Um, Holland got his goal after a poor giveaway from, was it Baleba? Baleba. Yeah. And he actually scored outside the box. What? What? I didn't know he could do that. Not for Man City, at least. Yeah. Baleba, man, terrible giveaway first off, but a game to forget for him as he was poor the entire match until getting subbed off. Yeah, and then halftime kind of showed up. And you could tell Roberto De Zerbi, he, he stuck to their game plan. I will say, you know, 2-0 down against Man City, he, he didn't change anything as far as tactics. He, he changed players, personnel, which... Were the right choices bringing off yeah, James Tilner at halftime, and <laughs> uh, Ferguson had to come on for Welbeck in that first half. He got injured. Um, I was also disappointed not to see Billy Gilmore get the start in yeah, midfield, especially with how he's been playing this season. He's been on fire. So seeing, so there... I would think he would have had a knock for him not to start. I, I don't know. I mean, honestly, this Brighton team, could you name the starting lineup for the next game? It changes so much. It's it's tough. But yeah. I will say, I feel like Brighton got a foothold in that second game, or in that second half, sorry, and they got the goal through Ansu Fati. But they were putting pressure on uh, Man City there at the end. And yeah, Matoma, I mean, Matoma had a chance one-on-one with Ortega that he, Ortega saved. Yeah, so I, I would disagree. It was a walk in the park for Man City, who controlled the entire game. Because at the end, they were sweating because Pep Guardiola brought on Nathan Ake and Ruben Diaz <laughs> to shore up that defense. 
I, I'm not saying it was a walk in the park, but especially in that first half, Manchester City probably could have scored more than two. Second half, you're right. Different story, especially after Brighton scored. And, I mean, it was a devastating counterattack. Lewis Dunk had to save the ball on the goal line, which literally within two passes led to Matoma going all the way down the field, lay the ball back for a kanji to try to clear it, only to play it to Ansu Fati, who just slotted it home. And Akanji, he did get sent off late in this game for two yellow card tackles. Yeah, yeah, I, again, it's going to happen a lot this season. But going yellow back cards. to Lewis Dunk, man, I got I got a Lewis Dunk appreciation. He Ooh. is one heck of a defender, man. I mean, he seems to be in the right place at the right time, hence why he saved that goal line clearance. But he's a fantastic passer of the ball, and he's not too bad on one-on-one situations. No, especially for a big guy who's not necessarily that quick. He always makes the right decision and is very, very rarely caught on the back foot. His timing is fantastic. If he wasn't in this Brighton squad, this game probably would have been (laughs) 5-6-0. He is that good for this Brighton He is a fantastic defender. Um, Man City, I think it's great for them. They have Rodri, John Stones back. Yeah, they definitely needed Rodri. them. Yeah. Yeah, and this Manchester City squad, you know, when everybody's healthy, we'll see how they fare. I, I would be honest to say that, you know, without De Bruyne, they're less dangerous going forward. Erling Holland definitely seems starved for his service, but they still look as dangerous as ever. Even after. Jeremy Doku, man, looks dangerous. Yes. One, and I, I mean, does, as well. does Grealish get a sniff with the way Doku's been playing, man? Not unless he wants to give Doku a rest. <laughs> I don't I think mean, Grealish gets into this squad. Doku, man. Which is he's saying just, something after a season he had last year. As you would say, Doku is lightning in a bottle, man. He is so quick. and Yeah. Watching him is like kissing a spark plug. James Milner felt all of that on the weekend. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And next to the London Derby of the weekend, as we go to Stamford Bridge, where Chelsea took on Arsenal. Chelsea struggling at the moment. Arsenal flying high. We're close to the top of the table, or at least tied on points with Tottenham Hotspur going into this one. Chelsea, man, this is the Chelsea team we've been waiting to see all season. I will give credit to Pochettino in this one, playing a box in midfield with Gallagher, Palmer, Enzo, and Caicedo. I mean, Saliba and Gabriel, without a striker to mark, looked lost. Yeah, cool. Palmer was kind of floating between a false nine, coming back into midfield. He'd drift out to a wing, and so you're right, Saliba, Gabriel. Didn't really know who to mark. And they came out flying. I thought their midfield looked fantastic. That Enzo Caicedo Gallagher connection definitely was better than Arsenal's in this game. Uh, <laughs> right. The majority Odegaard of it, and Jorginho. Yeah. And yeah, they came out flying, man. And, you know, I guess we'll start with the first goal the penalty against Saliba for the handball. Yeah. Um, ball comes in from, I believe it was Sterling. Yes. Sterling. Yeah. Crosses it in for Mudrick. Mudrick, Mudrick heads it on the header. 
hits Saliba's hand. hand, which is less than three feet away from his head. Ref calls a PK. Should it have been a penalty? So here, here's how I feel about that PK. I do think it was, after watching it, I thought the ref's going to give a PK for this, just from the letter of the law, the way it's going. His arm was at, out here. His arm was in. out. Now, like you said, his arm was not far from the ball, a couple yards, a yard. Um, not enough time to react, nonetheless. I, I do think it's a natural position for when you're trying to go for a header, your arms are going to go out for that leverage and to kind of protect yourself from, you know, the other player. My defender in me, if that went against me, I would feel very hard done. If I'm the attacker, I thought it would be a PK. I mean, so that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I think it's a little harsh, but I, again, I thought it was going to be given once I saw it. Uh, I mean, yeah, like you said, watching the replays of it, I think it, it probably warranted a penalty. I just, if you're William Saliba, like, you can't do anything. The it's ball harsh. is so close oh, yeah. to you. Yeah. Um, his arm was in a natural position, but it's also, like, completely away from his body. So, I wasn't too pissed off about them giving a penalty for that one. Cole Palmer would step up and convert it. And, you know, the rest of the first half was a little slow with little goal action and more of a, you know, game of chess in the middle of the park. I it was, say. yeah. Right but we'll get to the second moments. goal <laughs> as Chelsea would double their lead just after the break through Mihailo Mudrik, who probably will claim that it wasn't a cross, but it clearly was. A miss it a hit cross, cross yeah. <laughs> and it went right into the top corner. David Raya being caught out, standing on the <clears> six-yard <throat> box. It's got. It, I mean, this conversation is going to continue right until there's a definitive number one. But I'll be honest with you, David Raya did not have a good game in this one. So I won't fault him too much for for that, that goal. No, um, he had some other instances. There was one where he tried to play the ball into Rice. One, Literally Bryce had Caicedo breathing down his neck. But two, he made a bad pass that Cole Palmer intercepts. And he then, you know, kind of had to make a save against Cole Palmer. And so he, yeah, he looked shaky, man. Not only in this game, but, I mean, you think of against Manchester City, there was a couple instances where he got closed down by Julian Alvarez. And his the game kick got blocked. Long was not convincing either. <laughs> against Long, he, that yeah. first goal was his fault. It was a poor kick out that Long was able to attack on. And, you know, Ramsdale was not available for this game as he just had a child. So Congrats I guess to him. it was an e- easy decision for Arteta on yeah. this one. But, but with say, him man, coming for, back, man, I, for the Champions I don't League know, game I against Sevilla, I, I, you got to play Ramsdale. You have to. You have to. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Mikel Arteta will stick with David Raya because he, he's going to have to stick to his guns at this point. You've played him enough times in a row where Ramsdale was available. I guess why why not? I mean, he did it to Havertz. He dropped him. Why not? Why can't he drop Raya? I I mean, it's a great question. He totally can. I would love to see him do it and make David Raya re-win his spot in the starting 11 because, to be honest with you, Aaron Ramsdale did nothing wrong to get dropped. 
So I don't know. I, this is going to be a conversation that's going to be had every single week. If someone doesn't play well in goal for Arsenal, it's going to be, oh, why didn't the other one start? That's what happens when you have two number one goalies in your squad. Let's talk about but, Chelsea's goalie and his mistake. <laughs> get out of my head. There's more of a controversy <laughs> as Davidson San or not Davidson Sanchez, Robert Sanchez went out for the ball and missed running straight into Gabriel Jesus, completely missing the ball. Should have been a PK. I mean, it wasn't any different than Onana in that first no. game against Wolves where he came out, missed the ball, clattered into the attacker. Yeah, I, I when just, I saw that, I was like, how is he? I honestly, like, watching that and then seeing the replay, I'm like, oh, he's going to get sent to the monitor to look at that. Yeah. No, nope. no, it was. Check complete. I was like, what? Yeah. Completely and, missed I mean, the ball, clatters into Jesus. I, I don't, I, don't know I just, I don't understand it. Yes, I understand you want to protect goalies, but, <laughs> like, you have to at some point protect the other players from the goalie. He missed the ball completely, ran right through Gabriel Jesus. I guess the only real argument is that, well, he also ran into his own defender in Thiago Silva. But Howard Webb went on Sky Sports. Howard Webb went on Sky Sports after the game and said it should have been a penalty kick. This is the head of the PGMOL saying it should have been a penalty kick because it should have been sent to the monitor. Because it was just exactly this, well, not exactly the same, but very similar to Anana against Wolves. And like I, I said, understand. man, watching it live, I was like, oh, he's going to get sent to a monitor. Yeah. Like he, On he's replay, go look at this, and still then, thought he should have been sent to I the monitor. He wasn't, yeah. After a few substitutions from Mikel Arteta, Arsenal finally would come to life as another mistake by Robert Sanchez would see, uh, I guess you'd call it a poor pass slash clearance would see Declan Rice with a striker's finish from like 40 yards out as he puts it into the side netting first time in the 77th minute. Pretty sure it was Arsenal's first shot on target. Well, at least quality shot on target. Nope. It was their first shot on target. I looked (laughs) Declan Rice, man, what a finish from a, guy who's known for being a holding midfielder yeah in this game Arteta kind of had him playing as an eight alongside Odegaard with Jorginho kind of sitting back I don't care for that midfield if I'm being honest I don't know why Thomas Partey didn't play he was on the subs bench so maybe he had a little injury but I think you lose some of Declan Rice's best qualities pushing him that far forward if I'm being honest you're gonna if you're going to play a former Chelsea player, I would have rather seen Kai Havertz. I think I'd rather see Jorginho than Kai Havertz, but. but that's just I, honestly, me, but I would yeah, have man. rather seen, I would have rather seen Emil Smith Rowe. We all know, <laughs> we all know that one. He's not Arsenal gonna be, would get their equal. Be sold. Emil? I hate to see him Jorginho. go. Yeah. For, for his career, probably. I would hate to see him go too, but. That's a discussion for another day, maybe in January. <laughs> Arsenal would get their equalizer in the 84th minute through super sub Leandro Trossard, who just pops up in all the right places for Arsenal as Malo Gusto, who had Martinelli in his pocket all first half, fell asleep at the back post, allowing Saka to play the ball right 
to Leandro Trossard, who first time that straight past Robert Sanchez. And what a dramatic ending to that game it was. It was. And I got to say, man, Kukurea had a fantastic game. He had Saka in his back pocket. Until that ball. Pretty much the whole game. Maybe the last 10, 15 minutes, you're right. He had Saka in his pocket the whole game. And it drives me nuts because I hate looking at his face and his hair. It just looks like a dirty mop. Drives me nuts. But, Don't care for I that mean, curly hair. How'd you feel about Guendouzi when he played for Arsenal? <laughs> at least his was on top of his head. It wasn't just like in a mop back behind his head, just flailing around everywhere. How about like, come on, man, get some braids or big something. curly hair. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I would say I didn't see him play long enough at Arsenal to really care. <laughs> he was in and then out just as fast. I, I yeah. But man, did Arsenal actually deserve a point from this game? Because I'm leaning towards they didn't. Um, yeah, I, I would say so. Chelsea played well majority of the game, obviously. I mean, I would say this is Chelsea's best performance so far. Easy, yeah. But Arsenal did not look good either. No. Dagen not not taking it away from Chelsea, but Arsenal also did not look good, and they still managed to get a draw at Sanford Bridge. I think they're yeah, I think they're probably a little lucky to get away with a draw. I mean, Chelsea should have won that game. You're up 2-0 with 15 minutes, 12 minutes, whatever it was left. You got to see that out. 23 minutes, yeah. But yeah, I mean, Declan Rice came out after the game saying, you know, this is the worst performance Arsenal has had all season. And they still came out with a draw. I mean, good for them having the mentality to fight back. But, I mean, if it wasn't for a gift from Robert Sanchez. I was going to say, it was more assist from Robert Sanchez there, man. Yeah. So, that draw leaves Arsenal third with 21 points. And Chelsea are in the top half of the table in 10th. Here comes their run to to get in the Champions League. All right, next up we had, uh, speaking of Champions League, we had uh, Manchester United playing Sheffield United. As United would uh, barely scrape through this one with a 2-1 to victory as Super Scott McTominay does it again. Scoring for United in the 28th minute. And I got to say, man, I don't know where this first touch of his comes from because Bruno absolutely blasted the ball at him from like 10 did, yards man. away. and he straight he, up. Straight up chests it over a defender and then volleys it home. I, I, I would have taken the wind out of me. I would have fallen over. <laughs> he did, man. He rocketed that straight at McTominay, and he somehow was able to control it. And yeah, not the cleanest hit, but it was enough, and it went in. It was enough. It went in. That's all that counts. Unfortunately say, for him. I was say that was probably against the run of play, too. Yeah. Sheffield United, I... Like played pretty well in that first half. Yeah, and you know if they could finish, I don't think it, I think that might have been more of an equalizing goal rather than uh, putting United in Go the ahead. lead. Yeah, but McTominay would shoot himself in the foot a little bit late, just six minutes later after he gives away a penalty kick for a handball in the box as Ollie McBurney would step up and put away the penalty. And what a finish that was in off the post. Onana didn't stand a chance oh, in hell. No one's stopping that. Yeah. United would get the winner late on as Diego Dalo would 
come up with a striker's finish, putting it right in the top corner. But Fodderingham got both hands onto this one two, somehow. Man. He got two both hands, hands onto it. And it still went in. Should he have done better? If you get both hands, man, yeah. <laughs> I can see <laughs> it was more like this, but you know. But yeah, he got both hands. You gotta save that. At least like put it around the post. It wasn't very far, but how do you let the ball just go through your fingers? He's a work on that finger strength, as, apparently. As good as good of a finish as it was, I definitely think Fodderingham should have done better. But United should have had a, a couple more. Go ahead. This is a game of poor finishing, yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah. United should have had a couple more goals in this one. They had loads of chances. I mean, Bruno and so from Amrabat both hit the post. Bruno's off a free kick, Amrabat off of a wonderful strike. But Marcus Rashford and Rasmus Hoyland both had easy chances and just right at Fodderingham. Essentially like, hey, I don't. this is too easy. I don't want to finish this. Uh, you take the ball. Give me another try. Yeah. Do you remember when I told you last year how Marcus Rashford is very much a streaky player? Mm-hmm. He's in that bad streak right now. Just letting you know. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, not last season, but the season before, he did that for pretty much the whole season. He is a very streaky year, player. He yeah. scores, what, like 30 goals in what seemed like two months? <laughs> I will say, uh, Hoyland, at least, he looks like a player, man, though. I, I, I think he he could turn good for Manchester United. He's got that, I think, raw skill, speed. It just needs... He's still young. He's got to get that yeah. little, little fine-tuning there. I think he could turn into a lethal striker. I think what he really needs is better service. Because he's not getting that at United. I mean, Anthony in this match was terrible. Rashford I, After watching this game, I am I am hard. Garnacho should be starting over Anthony. Even if it's at... Well, I think Palestri should be starting over him, but... I 100% think Garnacho should be one. starting... Either one, yes. Anthony should not be starting, and he is awful. Have you jumped on my bandwagon as probably the one of the most expensive flops in the history of football? Oh, I'm I'm getting there, man. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's so it's bad. His... Yeah, if it's, he can't it's cut bad. the ball into his left foot, he's go- mm. he's garbage. And even when he does that, he's still garbage. So I don't. Understand. Then he's not fast either. Like he's not the quickest player. And then, like, his moves are just so, they're slow because he's so, he's not quick. So his moves are all slow and they're not running at you. You know, for example, if you're going to be flashy like that, you know, like a Ronaldinho or young Cristiano Ronaldo, they're running at you. He stops. And it's yeah. still. The only player I've ever seen actually stop the ball in the middle of play and then dance on it. At least Cristiano Ronaldo, the ball was always moving. Always. He would still dance on it. But the ball was always moving. It never stopped. I will say I did like the lineup for this game. Um, you know, Lindelof finally playing list, left back. Finally listened to me and played Lindelof on the left, huh? <laughs> but I do like how they played kind of more of a two holding midfielders in McTominay and Amarbat and then put Bruno in that number 10. And he, you know, 10 hogs sat Mason Mount, which I think is honestly at this point the right choice. Unless you're going to play him on the right instead of Anthony, but 
I don't think that's Mount's best position, if I'm being honest with you. No, I think Bruno's probably better off out there than Mount, but yeah. But I, I want I, Bruno I lo- in that number 10 position. Yeah, I do too. And I'll be honest, I mean, I gotta give credit where credit's due, man. Harry Maguire with another great performance for United. He did put in a great game, yeah. And, you know, they have Champions League football in the Manchester Derby next weekend. At least defensively, they're looking better. Offensively, they're not. So it should be interesting to see how they line up against Manchester City and FC Copenhagen in a uh, massive week for Manchester United. Well, I can tell you, if they play like they did against Sheffield, they're going to lose those games. Yeah. Well, I pretty much expect them to lose at least one of them. Manchester I mean, Darby. the the commentator, I feel like, summed it up perfectly. He said, United are relying on individual moments of brilliance to win games. Which they are. It took a Diogo Dallo cool. Moment I mean, of brilliance. Right back. <laughs> left, you know, right back, left back, whatever he was playing. It's it's your fullback scoring a goal, popping up on the, on the edge of the box. Top of the box, yeah. So. And yeah, they're they're struggling, man. This does not look like Manchester United of old, that's for sure. Yeah, and you know where they're sitting in the table. I mean, I can't believe that they're only you know one point behind Newcastle and Brighton, and only two three points ahead of Chelsea. They're still in eighth place, though. I know, it's crazy. Anyway, speaking of teams above them, Aston Villa, man, they're on fire as they played West Ham, destroying them 4-1 to one in this one. And it never really looked like a game as Aston Villa got scoring underway in the 30th minute through some lovely build-up play. Douglas Louise with the shot that had too much power on it for Ariola, And from then on, it was pretty much cruise control for Aston Villa. Yeah, they got a PK after Edson Alvarez fouled Consa. Douglas Luiz gets his second, makes it 2-0. But West Ham would get one back from Jared Bowen. It was a bit of a lucky shot. He took a shot. It took a wicked deflection. Wicked. Goes past Emmy <laughs> Martinez. Yeah. Very uh, fortuitous. Yes. For, for West Ham there. But Villa would restore their two-goal lead after a lovely run-in shot by Ole Watkins, who is absolutely on fire right now. I believe it's his fifth goal in three games in the 74th minute. And then Leon Bailey would add the cherry on top of the whipped cream on top of the ice cream on top of the cake. (laughs) And a very good Villa performance, getting this fourth with a lovely move and finish. And man. Did he sit that defender down with that crossover, cutting it back, and he putting did. it right in the top bins? Woo! He did, man. That was a lovely piece of skill. It was. But, yeah, I mean, Villa were the better team. Deserved to win. 11 consecutive home wins for them. They're absolutely flying at the moment. They've scored the second most goals in the Premier League, just behind Newcastle, who scored a goal more. Can they challenge for the top four? Maybe top six? Top four? I don't think so. I mean, you look at that Tottenham, City, Liverpool, Arsenal. I think that's going to be your top four. Top six? Yes. I definitely think they can make that top six. They're going to be fighting Brighton, Newcastle. uh, Maybe Manchester United. We'll see. Yeah. 
I mean, West Ham will be up there with the shout, but I don't, I don't <clears> think they'll touch the top six. But yeah, I mean, it's it's tight at the top, man. And Aston Villa are throwing their names in the hat. Oh man, they look good. Yes, From they their do. Defense to their midfield to that forward line, yeah, they they look good. Yeah, and I mean, they got they get tra- trampled by Newcastle, right? Opening day, yeah, they did yeah. get beat by Newcastle. But they also destroyed Brighton. So, I mean, this could go anyway. Should be Brighton, did they destroy Newcastle? <laughs> That's how it yeah. goes, man. <laughs> Full circle. Yeah. All right. As we started this week with a rivalry full of drama, we will end with a rivalry full of drama as we had a London derby as Tottenham took on Fulham. In our Monday Monday night game of the week, as Spurs would run out winners 2-0 in this one. Both teams got off to shaky start. Spurs looking the better of the two teams. And it took a woeful mistake from Calvin Bassey. I would see his pass go straight to, I think it was Papasar, who played it to Richarlison. Feeding in Hyoman Son, who coolly slotted it into the top corner to give Spurs a deserved lead. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was a deserved lead. Beautiful finish by Sawman. Top bins. I mean, it's kind of what we expect from him now. Getting into those positions, pretty much, I would put my money on it. He's going to score nine times out of ten. Once he got into that position and he, he had to fake the shot, the defenders went for the block and he went around him. I was like, oh, that's a goal. He <laughs> <laughs> would also be involved in Spurs' second as well as a bit of deja vu as Calvin Bassey again. And only his second start, his first start against Arsenal, he would have got a red card. Just throwing that out there. I felt bad for that poor defender, man, because, yeah, he had another. I don't know if it was a pass or a clearance or whatever it was. It went to a Tottenham player who fed it to Son and Son laid in Madison, who just put it around Burn Leno. Yep. Capped off yet another wonderful performance, putting the game out of reach. James Madison, man, he's got to be head and shoulders above everybody else for signing of the season. Already. In England? Yeah. Or in the world? In England. Okay. I'm going to say Jude Bellingham might have something to say say about that. that, that, I think he's head and shoulders above everybody else for the world. But But yeah, I'm trying to think. Okay, so in in England... I'm thinking it's a post lie. No, Madison would, would be above him. Yeah, James Ward Prowse, Declan Rice. I would put him above them, yeah. I think, yeah, he might be on to something. Yeah, because that I means it's not going to be anybody from Chelsea since they signed pretty much a whole new squad in the summer. So, <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, he's just so impressive, and he's staying healthy, which is the big thing for Tottenham Hotspur. That was the that big question. That is a huge thing, yes. Will it last? That's that's the yeah. question. Yeah. Should have been more for Tottenham, but Raul Jimenez had a few sitters in this one in the second half. It could have got Fulham back into the match. I don't know what. I mean, I understand he had a pretty bad head injury against Arsenal a couple of years ago. But his finishing has just been lackluster since then. Yeah, and I will say Vicario came up with some good saves, too. I remember in the first half, he had a fantastic save on a header from Palinha. There was another one he made there in the second half. So, I mean, 
Vicario is looking like another great signing as well. I would agree. And Mickey Vanderven as well. Man, is he quick. Vanderven, yep. So, I mean, they just have bought a good squad, and Angeball looks good, man. Yeah. Well, there is one blip on Angeball and their squad. As um, I just want to talk about Richarlison for a second. <laughs> Your favorite player? He is such a frustrating player to watch, man. He had some passes in this game that were absolutely brilliant. But more often than not, especially in front of goal, he was awful. Just awful. And I'm excited to see the Spurs side when they actually play someone who will test them, especially when Richarlison has has to do something good. I keep hearing that, that, you know, they're waiting for a team that can test them. Are Manchester United and Arsenal not teams and Liverpool teams not contest them? Well, Liverpool, let's, I mean, we can just put an asterisk next to that one because Liverpool were cheated out of that game. Arsenal shot themselves in the foot, so Spurs did nothing to beat them. And Manchester United are terrible. I want to see them play like a Villa, a Newcastle, a City. Play Arsenal again. Those sort of things. Because I don't think that they've really played anybody that has really tested them. So I guess Liverpool and Arsenal don't count as test-worthy teams. Again, Liverpool were cheated (laughs) out of that game. As Pia... PGMOL have said, because they should have got the lead through Luis Diaz, and Diogo Jota should not have been sent off. Arsenal, I'll give you that one. Arsenal didn't play very well. They shot themselves in the foot. James Madison was could have walked anyone off the park that, uh, that day. So, I'll give you that one. But other than that, Manchester United were piss poor when they played Tottenham. Other than that, they haven't really played anybody else. They have played a lot of the bottom teams, minus the ones I suggested there, but well, we'll see. What are their next games coming up? They play Chelsea, or Crystal Palace coming up, and then Chelsea, Wolves, Villa, City, West Ham, Newcastle. So they are going to have a a tough run at some point, because like you said, they had a little bit of an easier start there, but so far, they have passed every test, as you yes. like to say. Whether those tests have been hard or not, that I think that's up for debate. Yeah. But, but they, they have. They've, clicked, they've checked all the boxes. They're in first in the Premier League, two points ahead of everybody else. They haven't lost all season. Things are going good. Ange Ball is definitely doing something right. And speaking of doing something right for Tottenham... Something we wanted to do was to go over the best Tottenham players of the past, I guess, this century or players we've actually seen play for the club. And so we have our top five best Tottenham players. Yes, we do. Give me me your number five. There's been some good ones over the years. Before we get started, you know, we're going to talk about some old Uh, greats. You got Dave McKay, Glenn Hoddle, with 490 appearances for Tottenham, Danny Branchflower, Blanche Flower. That's tongue twister. You know, Miss Yeah, yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy Greaves, Greaves, Cliff Jones. Cliff Jones and Mr. Tottenham himself, Steve Perryman, who had almost a thousand appearances for Tottenham. So but they've had their we share. We haven't seen of any of those players. players. No. They have. They were have all retired long before we were born. <laughs> Throw that out there. 
So we um, acknowledge those old greats. Yes. So before I get to my fifth, some honorable mentions of players I have seen that didn't make it on my list. We had Christian Erickson. Okay. Great player for Tottenham Hotspur. Jurgen Klinsmann, who had a very short but prolific career. Robbie Keane did not make my list. One of my favorite celebrations. It probably is my favorite celebration. Celebration, yes. Players, I can't (laughs) stand him, even though I am an Irish person myself. Toby Alderweireld. I always get his name butchered, so I'm just going to give you that. Yeah. (laughs) Jermaine Genus, who was a mainstay in that Tottenham Hotspur midfield for a long time. And then Aaron Lennon. So into my number five. Interesting last choices there. Jermaine Genus and Aaron well, Lennon. Uh-huh. Honorable mentions. I never said they came anywhere near to my top five. But number five for me, I know recently he will be known for his calamitous performances and letting in easy goals. But Hugo Lloris, man, he's been a mainstay for Tottenham Hotspur for pretty much a good part of this entire century. As he has 444 appearances, 151 clean sheets. He's eighth all time in appearances for Spurs. And I honestly, other than, well, I guess they're out of the League Cup. And so, other than the League Cup, I don't know if he's ever going to play for Tottenham again. No, and I mean, he's a World Cup winner with France, obviously, and he has been a fantastic servant to that club. Definitely. For How about you? Seems like five, forever. Cardinal. My number five. Okay, my number five is Jermaine Defoe. He played with Tottenham from 2004 to 2008, spent a year away at Portsmouth, then re-signed with Tottenham in 2009 to 2014. <laughs> Interesting one. They they bought him uh, for about six or seven mil, sold him to Portsmouth for seven and a half mil, and then signed him back for just under 16. <laughs> Fantastic bit of business there. Didn't, but didn't he, he go to the MLS <clears throat> and then get loaned back to Tottenham as well? He did, yeah. Had a loan stint back. Um, but he had 140 goals, 41 assists, and 361 appearances. He is the seventh highest goal scorer in Spurs history and the ninth highest goal scorer in Premier League history. Hmm. So he is one of okay. the scoring greats in the Premier League, played for Tottenham. He is my fifth best player that I've okay. seen. Okay. Well, just above him in Tottenham's all-time leading scorers is my number four, Hyoman Son, who just, you know, recorded another goal and assist in their last game. He's got 382 appearances, 152 goals. It was 151, and 81 assists as a mainstay in Tottenham's 82 starting assists. 11. He assisted Madison. <laughs> 81. It was 80 before. Yeah. Oh, okay. I updated it. Yeah. But, I mean, the man just keeps staying at Tottenham. He's had offers from everywhere around the world. He turns them down. He's one of the most loyal players you'll ever see. And I have a big respect for him and his game because he is quiet. You don't hear him going around, being all flashy. He just gets the job done, and he's consistent. Albeit, a lot of last season, he was underwhelming. But... Most of his career for Tottenham Hotspur, he has been one of the best players in the Premier League, let alone in their starting 11. Yeah, I don't know how he stayed there all these years. Honestly, I'm surprised if Real Madrid or someone didn't come pick him up. He definitely has the quality to play in a team like that. Yeah, 
I 100% agree. All right, well, I'll go to my number four, who, honestly, he was one of my favorite players to watch, probably of all time. He is Mr. Silky Smooth Dimitar Berbatov. He's the laziest player I've ever watched. The laziest best player. Not in terms of being actually lazy, just the way he carried himself on the pitch. This is not everything was so nonchalant. Just blah 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 blah. It's because the game came easy to him. <laughs> I know. He was only at Spurs for a couple years from 2006 to 2008. He signed for 16 million from Bayer Leverkusen, and then he did leave to Manchester United for 30 mil. But in his 102 appearances, he had 46 goals and 29 assists. In three quarters of the games he played, he scored or assisted. Fantastic yeah. record. He was a terror for defenses. Uh, he went on to win big things with Manchester United. And yeah, honestly, man, I just loved watching him play. Not only for Tottenham, but for Manchester United. I thought the guy was just, he was fun to watch. Like you say, he looked so, so, so nonchalant on the yeah. field. But yeah, I loved watching him play. I'll give him that. So the rest of mine is going to be very controversial to a lot of people. But greatness is performances plus trophies, many would argue. Well, Tottenham have only won one trophy in the last 25 years, the 2008 League Cup, which most people would still call that not even a trophy, but it counts. So Mr. Tottenham of the 21st century himself is my number three in Ledley King. One club man, (laughs) one club man played for Tottenham his entire career, 322 appearances, 13 goals, eight assists, retired in 2012, 13 years for Tottenham Hotspur. And yes, most Tottenham Hotspur fans would agree with me. Ledley King. Ledley King. You couldn't think of another player. Not You couldn't put Christian Eriksen there. Ledley King, huh? He also has the 2008 League Cup for Tottenham Hotspur. Which if I'm being everybody... completely honest with you, I remember him being, I don't want to say mediocre, but average. Slightly above average <laughs> defender. Ledley King, okay. Ledley King. I would not put him on anywhere near my list, but... Well, he's got I'm more curious. trophies for Tottenham Hotspur than Harry Kane, so... Okay. Well, my number three is a Ballon d'Or winner, Luka Modric. He played with Spurs from 2008 to 2012. He signed in 2008, tying the club record fee of $16.5 million before he left for Real Madrid for $30 million. In his 160 appearances, he had 17 goals, 25 assists. But as we know, Modric is more that pass before the assist. He's the one breaking the lines, dribbling through the, the maestro. line. The maestro. He is a maestro. But man, he's he didn't have the best Spurs career, I would say. When he first got there, he did deal with injuries for quite a bit. But man, once he got healthy and he was firing, he was just a puppet puppeteer orchestrating that midfield, man. I love I love watching Luka Modric still playing today at what, 38? 38 years old, however old he won is. Lord knows how many trophies for Real Madrid. But yeah, I mean, I'm surprised he's in your 
top five because, well, he didn't have the greatest career with Tottenham Hotspur, and this is players that, well, it's how great they were while they played for Tottenham. But I just to say how great you, they were. The- as you said, as you said, you don't know why Ledley King's in mine, so I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> I don't know why Ledley King is in yours. No, Luka Modric, man, he was a special player. That's why Real Madrid came and picked him up. All right, so I'm going to guess our number one and number two are the same, maybe in a different order, but the same players. They shouldn't be in a different order. Yes, they should. Uh, just give me your number, number two, two and one, then. for me is Harry Kane. No. Number two. 280 goals, 44 assists, and 435 appearances, but no trophies. Zero. Zilch. Nada. No trophies. Anybody can score goals. For Tottenham Hotspur, you got to win a trophy to be great. This is where I think Tottenham fans would disagree with you. If you think they would agree with you for Ledley King. Most people would disagree with me. Most people would disagree with me. I disagree with you, that's for sure. But it took a special talent to be number one in my list who has a trophy. That League Cup trophy? Still a trophy. It's more than Tottenham Hotspur has in the last 25 years. So give me your number one. I, I'm guessing it's Gareth Bale. Yes, it's Gareth Bale. I mean, for me personally, Gareth Bale is the most exciting Tottenham Hotspur player I've ever seen. That man could literally take the ball from one end of the field, destroy all defenders all the way down the field and score anytime he wanted, even as a young lad. I mean, he won 17 trophies with Real Madrid, got booed 90% of the time. But he still had 236 appearances, 71 goals, and 58 assists at Tottenham. And also won their last trophy, the League Cup, in 2008. So yeah, mine is the opposite of yours. I have Gareth Bale at number two and Harry Kane at number one. I mean, Gareth Bale, I he, you're not wrong. He was a fantastic player to watch. I love watching those long, slalming runs he'd go on cut onto that left foot and just curl it but the guy's only 34 man yes and we all know his injury playing. record his injury record for real madrid was not great i mean even when he came back on loan to tottenham for that season he didn't look good if i'm being honest with you i mean what, his... what do you expect for a guy who's been sitting on the bench at real madrid collecting trophies <laughs> I mean, I expect him to do something more than what he did. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, you you said it. He he signed with them in 2007, 2014, came back on loan. They signed him from Southampton for 10 mil. And then he left for Real Madrid for a then world record fee of 85 million pounds. And you're not wrong. He's He's one of the greats for Spurs. But I got to give it to Harry Kane, man. Their all-time top goal scorer, 280 goals. I mean, the guy's been, he was there for, what, 14 years? Long servant of the club. If he would have stayed, probably would have broke the Premier League scoring record. He just was consistent, man. Harry Kane on 20, 30 goals a season. It's got to be him for me. Okay. Without him last year, Tottenham probably would have got relegated. (laughs) Well, we're seeing what's happening without him this year, so... With a new coach, yes. 
<laughs> With the coaches they had last season, though. <laughs> Fair. Antonio, Antonio Conte, Conte was no and... good. <laughs> <laughs> All the other ones. You throw them all in there, I guess. But, but yeah, I mean, it was very top... controversial top five. It really is. It is. I'm curious. I, I want to hear from you guys. Should Harry Kane be number one, or is Redbeard absolutely fucking nuts having Gareth Bale there, or even just having Ledley King on his list when, <laughs> you know, there's the likes of Michael Carrick or Christian Eriksen, Raphael Vandervaart, Edgar Davids played for him. Yeah. Kyle, Kyle Walker, Walker, Clint Dempsey, Brad Casey Keller. Americans, yeah. I think you're nuts, but that's just me. But we want to hear from you guys. Let us know in the comments. Of course, don't forget to like, subscribe. Check out our other socials, TikTok, Instagram. Join our Facebook group. And if you want to support the channel, feel free to check out our Redbubble account. You can get some merch, stickers, whatever you desire on there. But that's the end of this episode. On that note, we love you guys. Thank you so much. As always, cheers. Cheers.